Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. John Bradshaw will join us to discuss the animals among us. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. Well, a major aspect of humankind's evolution was the domestication of animals, but now that humans have become increasingly more urban, the need for animals to herd, hunt, or gar has decreased. So why is pet ownership at an all-time high? Well, in his new book, Dr. John Bradshaw illuminates how pet keeping is nothing less than an intrinsic part of animal and human nature. Dr. Bradshaw is a faculty at the School of Veterinary Sciences at the University of Bristol, where he's founded the area of anthrozoology, the science of human-animal interactions. He's explored this in uh, numerous publications and his new book, The Animals Among Us, How Pets Make Us Human. And uh, Dr. Bradshaw, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Hi there. It's certainly a pleasure to have you on the program. It's certainly a fascinating book you've written here, uh, The Animals Among Us, uh, How Pets Make Us Human. It's certainly a topic I think that a, a lot of people out there uh, are interested in, certainly pet lovers are. Why did you decide to write this book? I, I started off really with the idea that, um, that pet keeping is an anomaly. I mean, it's all around us. It's so universal that it's kind of uh, hard to step back from uh, and have a look at it and say, actually, why are we doing this thing? You know, these all these animals are uh, used to be useful to us. We still they're still the same kinds of animals. It's still dogs and cats and horses and 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 so on. But their function has changed incredibly rapidly. I mean, just over a course of a few decades. So that now instead of work being working animals, they've suddenly become companions. And it it, it just interested intrigued me as to why that had happened. Uh, why we hadn't simply discarded them along with a lot of the other things that came with our more rural pasts. And also, I think there's also a, um, uh, a, an, an emphasis in the popular media anyway on the health-promoting aspects of pets. And again, something I've been quite sceptical about for quite some time, and I wanted to have a look at that and see if I could put those two things together, the, um, the unusual habit that humans have, even though we all, well, many of us do it, um, and the idea that pets are some kind of health-promoting um, thing which we all ought to have. Um, those both seem to me to be rather odd, and so I, I set back exploring the ideas behind them. So having explored this, uh, is there any good reason why we have pets in this day and age? It is satisfying something which uh, is, is no longer functional in the, you know, the strictly utilitarian sense, but is functional in terms of our well-being, our psychological well-being. Um, and that's because in the past, our ancestors, uh, you know, were, were benefited by actually having affectionate relationships with animals. So we continue to do that in the same way that, you know, we, we continue to like sweet things um, because even though they're not very good for us, uh, because in the past, our ancestors um, would have found them very rewarding. They were much less easy to come by. Than they are today. Uh, those uh, we, we uh, our ancestors evolved to digest milk because 
herding and dairying became a very important part of agriculture. And so, you know, we have changed over the course of the last few 10,000 years to exploit the world and particularly the animals around us. Uh, and, and they have changed, of course, as well to, um, to fit in with us. The health benefits, I think, stem from that very um, intimate and intrinsic relationship that we have with them. Is there any uh, scientific evidence that shows uh, that uh, having a pet then, uh, or say, reduces stress, draws us to have these pets? There is indeed quite good scientific evidence that in the short term, just uh, having a, a friendly dog come up to you and, and allowing you to, um, you know, to stroke it behind its ears and so on, is does have very beneficial effects to not just making people feel a little bit more relaxed, but also that's traceable back to the hormones in their bloodstream so that oxytocin uh, levels rise, uh, endorphins, the reward hormones um, also rise. And, and that's really quite intriguing. I mean, why should that happen um, when, um, you know, there's no kind of obvious reason why it should do so? Why is stroking a cat or a dog reward us in this way? Um, and so uh, I think that's, you know, part of the, the, the benefit that we get from animals is this reward. Uh, and I th- at the same time, um, I think some of the more long-term claims that um, animals help us to survive heart attacks and that kind of thing, um, those, are, I think, are less well-founded. I think they do give us these, these short-term calming and de-stressing benefits. But, of course, actually having an animal in your home uh, is, is also uh, a drain on your resources and, and is not always you know, as pleasurable as, as all that. Sometimes it's quite frustrating when the animal doesn't do what you want it to do or does something that somebody else doesn't want it to do. So I think they, if, in terms of pet ownership, there are ups and downs, and they pretty much cancel out most of the time. But in terms of this second-to-second, minute-to-minute interaction that we have, the good times, um, that I think is explainable in terms of, um, of our evolution, that we it did evolve, um, or some of us anyway, did evolve um, uh, an ability uh, to look after animals, and that in order to do so, we had to kind of feel affectionate about them. That's what kept us close to them, and, and that was an important part of our evolution. Uh, and it's, an, it's, a, it's a genetic, there's a genetic basis for it, which still varies between people today. So some people seem to have more of it than others, and that can, and, and that can have quite wide-ranging consequences for the way they regard the world and, and indeed live their lives. And indeed, some people have such affection for their animals that uh, they, they come to regard them as part of the family. Yes, that is, they do. I, and I think that's, it's one of those things where it, it, there's a kind of lack of language to describe the relationship. Um, and the nearest thing you can get to it is say, it's to say part of the family. And, um, but it, it, there are some sort of subtle ways that, that they're kind of not part of the family. The grieving process after a pet dies seems to be rather different to the grieving process after uh, a human member of the family dies. Um, the way that we talk to pets is not the same way that we talk to children. There, there are some similarities, but there are also some subtle but, but quite consistent differences. So they are kind of part of the family, um, but, uh, but in a very unique way, and in an animal sense. And I think this idea that, um, you know, that families in the past consisted of humans and uh, animals that, that lived very close by um, and had, you know, were, were part of the everyday life of those, those humans. Um, this is not just something that's been kind of dreamt up recently as a, as a sentimental way of, of expressing people's love for their pets. I, I think it's something that's gone on in human society uh, for uh, tens of thousands of years, and that actually that, that group that societies which don't have any animals uh, at all living with them are, are, are and have been quite anomalous.
So uh, across the world, how does pet ownership vary? Uh, are there are there regions where pet ownership less common or treated differently than than here, and say in the states or, or in Britain? Pet ownership has been studied, I think, most detail in the West. So we don't really have really good information from uh, well, most of Africa, for example. I mean, pet keeping seems to be less common in Africa than it is elsewhere, but that could just be that there's, there's less information about it. Um, or it could be that, um, that pet keeping evolved in, in Europe after um, Homo sapiens had moved into Europe. And so inevitably then um, it, w- it would continue to be less common in Africa, although of course there are lots of pets in Africa. And maybe they picked up the pet keeping as more of a cultural thing um, and that the real genetic changes that took place in the human race were in Europe and Asia, um, say 50,000 years ago. That seems to be from the archaeology, the most likely time for this to have happened um, simultaneously with changes in hunting behavior uh, and and one or two other cultural changes, uh, that this idea that keeping an animal in your home, wherever that happened to be, and then, of course, in those days, many people were nomads, so the home went with them, um, was something which now Homo sapiens, our species, was beginning to do. Since there's no longer this uh, pressure, why wasn't this sort of uh, behavior slowly started to drift away? I think it's it is a, obviously it is a cultural convention. Uh, you you only have to just look at the kind of animals that we have. I mean, we we have the animals that were were in our our immediate ancestors' homes a century ago. They have been changed a little bit and refined um, for the new role that they have now as, as being mainly companions. But um, but it is you know it's the same. It's the, it's the dogs and the cats and the horses and so on that that fulfil these roles. I think that's more just a a question of convenience, but also as you say there is a there's a cultural uh, basis to it. Uh, we inherit these habits um, from our our parents, uh, from the people around us. But some of the things we we found that that um, kind of suggests there is more of a, a genetic basis to it rather than a cultural basis. Um, um, for example, there seems to be uh, not only a genetic basis to how affectionate people feel towards animals um, or towards pets, um, but also possibly as to how affectionate they feel towards animals in general and therefore how they feel about conservation. Um, and it seems to have, there, there seems to just seem to be some kind of underlying animal affiliation that some people feel more strongly than others and it affects all sorts of aspects of their lives and one thing we found was that it seems to affect what kind of um what kind of degree they do at university that that university college students um if they are if they're studying uh economics or management studies or that uh, something like that which doesn't involve animals then they're much more likely to have come from households without animals so these things run in families some of that's cultural and some of that seems to be genetic I'm curious about these uh, these attempts uh, to sort of mimic uh, pets, you know, with these robotic cats or robotic animals that, what do you think, uh, that's getting the benefit without any of the trouble? I think that is going to be more of a more of a thing uh, in the future. Uh, the robots are getting more and more lifelike. Uh, and of course, you know, they, they have the advantage that, that uh, you know, you can switch them off when you don't need them. You, you don't have to have somebody to care for an animal 24-7 that maybe is only... Um, useful in terms of a therapy of some kind um, for a very short period of that time. Uh, I don't think the the robots have quite got there yet. But um, if we think about, you know, what do people actually like in a pet, particularly 
elderly people um, who don't want the, the or can't look after a pet or don't want the trouble of looking after one, well, they want something they can talk to and is going to respond to them. They're going to want something that's soft and gentle to touch and, and easy to carry around. And I think ultimately, you know, we're getting towards the point where robots might be able to do some of that. I think the the more the family pet, uh, I suspect, it will it be very difficult to replace that with a robot. That um, you know, you, it might work for a week or two, and then. Uh, people would lose interest, whereas you know, a real living, breathing animal is um, is going to be much more rewarding in the long term. So, uh, looping back to the health benefits, what do you really find in terms of benefits of pet ownership? I think the myths are that just getting a pet will make you live longer or, or help you to avoid having a heart attack or something like that, which are just some of the more kind of uh, extreme claims that have been made in the media over the past couple of decades. Um, there was some research which suggested that might be true. There's never really been any research that proved it was true. And there have been recent studies done in California. Um, you're looking at uh, records of, of uh, you know, health records going way back uh, for, for several decades, which indicate that really um, the, there is an association between pet keeping and health, but it's, um, it's, a, it's not that the pet makes you healthy. It's that people who are healthy tend to be better off. I mean, being poor is a, is a, it was a bad predictor of health. Um, people who move around a lot and find it difficult to keep pets, again, they, they tend to be less healthy. So that the pet keeping is a consequence of being healthy, which in itself is a consequence of, of having more resources um, and having a more settled lifestyle, rather than the pets causing the good health. They just go, they're two aspects of, of having a stable and reasonably, uh, reasonably well-off lifestyle. Um, so I think that kind of explains it. There, there are quite definitely benefits to be had from pet-assisted therapy, where you know, people take animals into hospitals, uh, into hospices, into people, uh, places where, where seniors live, uh, and also for children as well in schools. Um, and I think the, what, what is almost certainly the basis for that is not really, again, the animal itself, um, but, the, uh, but the, a sense of, of trustworthiness that the animal gives to people. And that's been shown in all sorts of different studies in different parts of the world. So I think it's independent of, it's not a cultural thing. It does, again, seem to be something quite... In biological, quite intrinsic to human nature, that if, that if you see somebody with a well-behaved animal, you trust them uh, in a way that, that other possessions, uh, whatever, might not have. And so animals act as, the, as a bridge. They, the, the pet animals act as a bridge. They get people talking very quickly. They build neighborhood um, links between people who might otherwise not talk to one another. So they're, they're very beneficial in that sense. And I think that is what is behind a lot of the benefits of animals in therapy and in neighbourhoods. It's this trustworthiness thing, which uh, it, you know, it, which is a very unusual and unexpected. Go for a walk. Uh, you're you're going to talk to a person walking a dog. It it does build those bridges. It does build the bridges, but I mean, it's also been found that uh, that you know that cats will do that as well, which is somewhat more unexpected. You know, you think of the cat as being a very solitary animal, and that it, uh, they they tend to to kind of you know stick to one person in one house, but. Um, but indeed, uh, several studies, both in the United States and in Australia, have found that, uh, that, that even cat owners tend to get to know one another. Uh, and they're kind of just very simple things like helping one another out to feed the cat when you're away for a few days, that sort of thing. Um, and they, again, the cat, just being a cat owner makes you seem more likable, to, uh, particularly to other cat owners. So they're, they are uh, they're, they're good social lubricants. They do get people together.
So I'm curious then, so after all, all of uh, your studies then, uh, so how do you think uh, pets will continue to make us human? Uh, do you think it will continue to adapt and evolve uh, uh, with our pets? Uh, what's the future for the human-pet bond? Well, I think we're going to, if we lose a very close relationship with, with animals, it's been something that's been part of our history for tens of thousands of years. I think if we lose that, it would be a pity because I think that's something that is, is part of human nature. It's something that's enabled us to evolve. It's something that's enabled us to have domestic animals um, and domesticate animals. And, and I think unless we'd really had an affection for those animals, they wouldn't have become domesticated. They would have been too difficult. So... Although you could argue that um, it's not so useful to us now, I I would argue that it was. I think there are a couple of reasons that um, one is particularly that children uh, nowadays they live in you know increasingly in a world which is dominated by screens of various kinds, uh, and we and I think you know there there is a movement to say you know too much screen time is not good for kids. I think they see a lot of animals on those screens, whether they're cartoon animals or real ones. Uh, and I think it, it, it's beneficial for them to see what a real animal is and not simply to grow up thinking that you know, a, a, a dog or a cat is something you watch on YouTube, um, that there are real animals. They're not the same as these little video clips. They, they have much more complex and, and interesting lives uh, than the ones that are filtered through, you, you know, through the Internet. So I think that's, that's very beneficial. I think it teaches children about life uh, as much as anything else. Uh, in terms of the future, we have, there are obviously some problems coming up with um, particularly feeding them. I mean, dogs and cats, they're both carnivores. They need meat to eat, especially cats do. And there, there, you know, there is increasing pressure on us from an environmental perspective to become more and more vegetarian and eat less meat because of the impact on the planet of, of uh, growing crops to feed to cattle and pigs and sheep and so on. So I think that is going to have to be addressed sometime, but I, I, I hope it will be. I hope there will be substitute pets or vegetarian dogs and cats or something that will enable us to go on keeping these animals without having any more impact on the planet. All right. Well, well, the new book is called The Animals Among Us, uh, How Pets Make Us Human. Uh, the author is uh, Dr. John Bradshaw. And, uh, Dr. Bradshaw, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. That's been a pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.